morning. Good morning. And welcome to your Daily Game Face. I'm Dr. Kim Lannon, and I'm here with my lovely producer, Lou Blasey. <laughs> Guru. <laughs> Guru. <laughs> Oh, I'm gonna have to come up with new words every week. Guru. No, no, it's, you like the guru. We'll stick with. You're the only one who uses lovely. So I, I do. I love lovely. And and everyone in my life that says I say that, it, they say it's filler for me. They say I just put it in as filler. Yeah, maybe. I, I wish I hadn't so you, been told that. But. <laughs> well, it is that you are lovely. You're just really good. I thought it was sincere. Do but, I was sincere? Oh, yeah. for God's sake. <laughs> So, so 20 minutes ago, not even Lou's walking out to the car. He's, I'm thinking Lou's leaving. <laughs> I'm yeah. getting out of the car. I'm like, where are you going? He's like, oh, I'm leaving. I said, well, I can run my own show. Yep. 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 And then he, then I almost died in the bathroom. <laughs> so for everyone that's listening. Die. It was just the air freshener. I know. So a very weird experience, you know, because, you know, 2020 is bizarre itself. And so. Oh, no, no. This wasn't a 2020 oh, thing. Oh, this isn't. This no, is just me God, being no. crazy. No, no. This is a Costigo Media thing. Oh, well, well, I didn't know this. So I'm in the bathroom and I'm explaining to Lou that usually I'm running in here four seconds before we're on air, going to the bathroom, fixing my hair, doing whatever, and then coming back and being like, okay, let's go. But today I had a little extra time and I went in and I was, yep. <laughs> have never experienced this puff of smoke come out at me in the bathroom. Yep. And immediately I went to, oh my God, I'm being gassed. <laughs> puff of mist. That's <laughs> smoke. Well, but in my periphery, it looks like. Smoke. But nonetheless, I figured out what it was immediately, you know. One of I the would... strong points of Costa Eagle Media has been this, this building is well kept and well cleaned. It, I And I would agree with that, but yeah. I had never experienced that in the past nine months that I've been here. And all of a sudden, I was yeah. like, wow, that's really bizarre. And I knew exactly what it was, but nonetheless, yeah. it was weird. I mean, I didn't know these things existed till till we got into this building. Well, I've never. But they were automatic sprayers. The, almost, I know they're automatic, but it was so high, I yeah. never noticed it. Like it's almost at the ceiling, and I yep. thought, "Wow!" But it was very nice that I <laughs> at that moment. And I, when I came back in the studio, I was saying to Lou and visual for everyone, "This is <laughs> Lou. Lou envisions this is what it would be like in prison yes. because the yeah. the bathroom is windowless, dark, cold. It's like ten by six. <laughs> How do you know if it's ten by six? I don't know. It's about it's ten small. by six. <laughs> It may not be that. Yeah. I know. And so, yeah. So it's, it was a little... But there's no windows. And nope, it's rectangular. Dark, darkish. And, yeah. yeah. And it's like... gray. I, every time I go in there... Yeah. yeah. And it's got... It's one fluorescent light. Yeah. There's nothing flowery. No windows. There's nothing pretty. Yeah. There's nothing inviting. It's just... It's just yeah. I, I imagine when I go to prison, this is this is the cell. <laughs> <laughs> the cell of your future. It's the cell of my future. Oh, my goodness. Well, yes, it was very surreal. So anyway, I But I'm going to go big. Yeah. I'm going to be in a CNN aerial shot. Oh, oh, yeah. We, are you going to be in a chase? No, like no, a, no. Oh. More like a sniper in a bell tower. Oh, my God. <laughs> and this is Lou telling Dr. Lannon that we'll, <laughs> we are, we'll have to do a, a, a check after the show to make sure you're safe. If it ever happens, it's going to be on CNN Live. Oh, good Lord. Yeah. Well, who knew this is where this was going to go this morning? <laughs> anyway, let's go back to PTSD from last yes. week. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, so before we start, oh boy, we're in a roll this morning. Um, not before we start, uh, but hey, I ran the Boston Marathon yes. virtual experience this weekend, and you saw I that saw. I did it. You saw that I did it. I saw most of the posts. You saw most of the posts. Yeah, I did. I think I did two two posts. Oh, I then I saw all of the posts. 
Yes, the one where I was running and said I'm not stopping to talk to people yep. at four miles, just less than four miles. And the little cumulative post with the finish and, and the, the balloons. And, yes. And, and that was John yes, putting the balloons together? I, yes, I had a beautiful finish line when I came around the corner that had been, it was epic. Yep. It was quite, it had New England Patriots balloons, it had the unicorn for the BAA, well, yep. it wasn't the BAA one, but it was a cute unicorn, a huge balloon. Yep. And then all the spelled out in balloons, Boston 2020, and then arches of the Very blue nice. and gold. And uh, How I long had, between that and the time you hit the lawn chair? Uh, well, I never made it to the lawn chair because then John went into mode of, I, I stood a while because I didn't get to sit because he said if I sat in the lawn chair, I wouldn't get back up, which yeah. is probably true. So yeah. he brought out the chair you saw, the the upright oh. <laughs> granny chair <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to put in and do that. So that was mm, probably three or four minutes in. Every time I sat down, he'd get have me get up and move because it wasn't appropriate for the picture that he wanted to take. Oh, so see. he kept yeah. moving me. Yeah. And then the entire thing went up on the lawn because he wanted me in the sun. So then <laughs> we got up and moved the whole thing. <laughs> It was quite the production. Yes. That took longer than the whole race. <laughs> um, but it was, it was after, so speaking of the race, so I think that the BAA, it was originally, I think 18,000 people were going to do the virtual, but I think roughly 16,000 people ended up doing it to my knowledge. Yeah. I know there's people still doing it. The last day was technically Monday, but they extended it for people out in California due to the fires, which I thought was good on BAA oh, for, for doing running that. running in that stuff. Well, people did last week because they hadn't extended it at that point. Yeah. So some people had already gone out and done it in the heat the the, the um fog the yeah. mist the smoke the, all the stuff so they did extend it so i think some people are still getting their opportunity to do it which is good because they can't it's bad and yeah. so i had a friend out there last week running it and she did it like sort of at the beginning and it was rough she, it took her a long time well, i think it was the a's and the mariners they were playing and the air quality index was like 280 something yeah yeah. And while they were playing, it was like, yeah, it was yeah, bad. Yeah. So, um, so for here in the Boston area, there uh, was um, beautiful weather. I couldn't. I have not had that kind of weather for all six Boston marathons until this very one. I have run in sleet, snow, yep. driving winds. Well, it's April. Hurricane force. <laughs> well, my my tradition used to be to go to the Red Game. Sox Patriots yep. Day game. And then there were just too many days when it was snowing and it was miserable. And right. it's like, who wants to sit in that ballpark in, you know, 20-degree weather or, or snowing or Well, we just, we just want to run or, in it. Yeah. Yes. I know. I actually, between the last two years... So of, now, if I'm not getting a check, I'm not in that ballpark before May 1st. Oh, there you go. No. If you're not getting paid for it. If I'm not well, getting paid for it. Well, that's why it was wonderful, because I didn't run in the rain this weekend, which was a first for, I think... All my Boston marathons, oh, except, no, I think there was 2017, there was no rain. Right. Um, no rain, beautiful temperatures, amazing sun, perfect along my little course. And people kept saying, what course? Because I was really not sure exactly what I was going to do. Like I, I knew the course, but I wasn't sure when I was going to do it. Yep. It was either going to be Saturday or Sunday. And then it said rain on Sunday, so I was like, and it didn't. <laughs> but I, So yeah. I did Saturday. and um, But I did, my course was, I did eight and a half roughly a little bit more than that but eight and a half loops 5k loops so i split it into 5ks oh, i was wondering about that and and yeah. so it was perfect because it's my sh what i call my short training route on my run so it's yep. my 5k loop it's perfect door to door um it's just a little over 5k when you actually go to my door so um i did eight almost nine i did essentially nine because with john's 
maneuvering of my <laughs> of my finish line. Yes. I did nine. Um, so 26.2, a little bit more than that. But I did stop my watch right at 26.2. Um, but it was it was fantastic. And people were – it was kind of funny because the National Grid guys were set up along one of the main roads doing work for probably oh. the better part of three hours of the time I was out there. So you had eight visits with them. And so I kept running it. So by the th- I think it was like the third time around, they were like – what are you doing? Because, <laughs> you know, like yeah. an hour had passed, and they're like, what are you doing? And I said, I'm running the Boston Marathon. So the next time I looped back around, there was like nine guys in a row all clapping. Nice. And nice. So it was very cool. So yeah. I, I had run by tons of different houses that people sort of caught on to what I was doing and because I didn't tell anybody because right. I didn't want the fanfare. I didn't sure. want all that stuff. And um, so people were coming out when they knew I was coming back around in the loop and oh, wow. clapping. That's and great. It was so much fun. I mean, it, <laughs> it wasn't Boston, but, it you know, it had the same. People figured it out and would yep. go by and to- toot their horn. And, you know, and it was, I was just nice and low key. But it was really, really nice. And, and I did a little PR. It was very social, but I yep. still PR'd, which was good in my timing. How so was your time? My, my time was five hours, 28 minutes. Which is a long time. Yeah, I was sh- so I was shooting for longer, and I and I will make my excuses. Even you were though shooting t- for longer. I mean, shooting. Oh, thanks. <laughs> shooting for shorter, but it was longer because and people will be like, "Oh, she's making excuses." No, so if you've never done a long run and you no one's tr- vetting you on this, you're trying to you're <laughs> trying to make sure you're doing your sugar and your salt and you know we've talked yep. about this. Well, salt intake sometimes if you don't get it quite right, you get cramps. Yeah, and uh. I had used my last little crampy pills, you know, the Dr. Kemp's, right? You put them under your tongue. And so I was on I was on target. I was going to be like a 459 or a 501, like it was right on target. Well, ha, yeah, I went from my 1030 miles, you know, running meander and whatever. And my last three miles went to 16, wow, yeah. 17, because I got the worst toe cramp right after that little video you saw of yep. me going, oh, under four miles. Shouldn't have said anything. Yep. So right at those last three miles, I added on like 20-something minutes to toe my cramp? time because I added yeah. in. I had to walk because yeah. I got this massive cramp, and it went all the way up my Achilles, oh right into my calf. And I'm like, well, that stinks. Yeah. <laughs> so it is what it is. Yeah. I hate that phrase now, but it is what it is. Why? It's a Belichickism. It's Belichickian. I, I, I know. But it has all kinds of different meanings it's now. It's going to be so. part of my book. Oh, you're, oh, yeah. There we go. Everything I need to know in life I learned from Bill Belichick. I, yes. Yeah. I, 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 love, I love the phrase. It just has lots of different meanings now. So. Yeah. yeah. But it was, it was amazing, and I was very happy with my time because time – and people ask me, oh, is your time? It's really not about the time for me. I mean, I love that I can PR, which that was for yeah. me. But um, it's more about – I always pick my sure. why. Yeah. And my why, as you probably read on my post this weekend, is I had multiple whys this year. So I always run. I run for a couple reasons of things that are personal to my life. And then I run for basically, you know, I, I run for things that people get lifted up for, not put down for. So, right. you know, so I had a little a little scenario of all those little things. And that's what keeps me out there. It doesn't matter about the time. I mean, I'm not going to win. Plus, the tenacity is important. You put in seven extra months of training here. Exactly. And, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And I'm not, and I'm not out a there lot to of get a million get, dollars. Well, how many people normally run it? 30, well, roughly anywhere around 32, right. 31, 32,000. So about half of it said, screw it. Yeah. Yeah. When it exactly. was postponed. Yeah. Exactly. So, and I, and so I think 18,000 total were signed up for the virtual and, and every, I mean, all around the world, people were posting up for what they had done and yeah. doing it. So, you know, and that was, so 43 weeks of training in, in a row for me. 
Yeah. And I, yeah. and I, and wow. I told you before, all I did was I, I stopped and air quote stopped in March, but not really. I just yeah. took like a couple of days and then re regroup because I still ran. You remember I ran in April yep. on the actual marathon day. I went out and ran yep. for the marathon. And so, so now it's really a, two in less than five months. So now you get a few days off and you start training for next year's. Exactly. If so, it's in April. And it's so weird because I have, I, I feel guilty and people who are runners and even regular, you know, non-runner athletes, I haven't not run in a, like in I, days, months, right? Every yeah. day, or at least I've only missed one day here or there. So the past, let's see, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, right? Okay. I, I this morning I woke up and I'm used to getting up at like six or five and doing something before I come in, and I was like, no, nope, not today. It feels very weird. So it's not going to last so long. Like It'll, having those few hours, extra hours to do yeah. something. Yeah. Yeah, I had I actually got eight hours of sleep instead of four. <laughs> <laughs> so th so this so I'll make it probably till Friday, and then it will that will be the end of that because I you won't a be able to four hours sleep person. Uh, like four six depends. Really four six. And you can do six. it consistently, and you feel okay. F not with four. Yeah. But there's like so Wednesdays and Thursdays I usually get between four and six. Fridays I usually get six to seven. Like there's day it's because wow. of my schedule. So yeah. whatever my schedule is based on is what I do. Weekends I get a little longer. Depends. And I know some people can stand that, but I yeah. can't. I can't imagine it. Although I'm I'm doing six to seven. It's not like I'm. Yeah, it's not. I mean, it's not every single yeah. day that I do four, but it, there is at least one day a week consistently that I get like four or five hours, and that's it. Just because of what I, you know, I, what time I work till the night before. By the time I get home and I wind down, yeah, huh, I'm like, yeah, and I'm not that I'm up doing things. I'm just resting, but it's not sleeping right. per se. Yeah, so. it, it takes a while to decompress. Or right, it does for me anyway. So and it, it, me too. So it's an adjustment. So you know how we talk about sleep and it's important. So it's that one day of like I move that adjustment in my head around. Like okay, this is what you have to ramp up for because this is what it's like. And no mm. matter what I've done to move this whole thing around, it still ends up being that way. So and you I still just, get a lot of people who are in bed eight hours, but they're sleeping four. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Bad sleep habits. Exactly. So I so it's a, it's an okay thing once in a while for me, you know, like a once a week kind of thing. But yeah. but by Friday, I'm going to probably because I'm starting to get the little jumpy legs because I haven't run and and I get in like the popping of my you know like sparking in my legs of like okay you got to move you got to move so, really yeah, yeah. so it, I'll make it to I, I won't do it probably tomorrow because tomorrow's a huge long day for me always and mm -hmm. then by Friday I'll be right back at it. Nice. Well, Resetting. congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. It was fantastic. What do you think the odds are they run in April? That's a good question because people have been asking me that this week. Um, well, I'm going to... I'm say gonna the odds go, are less than 20%. I'm going to go with it's not likely yeah. only because of just what's going on and what I hear. Yep. But it's not... I would imagine they won't cancel it because we just did a very successful right. virtual. So if nothing else, we'll do a virtual again. I would imagine. What if they said they were moving it to September? How would you feel about that? Like forever? Yeah. Mm. September feels like a good month. It, well, it does, but see, okay, so the you might get the ninety. Yeah. The hit or miss weather in April. I'd rather, even though I can't believe I'm saying that because I always end up in the rain and the yeah. snow. But it's at least cooler, and you have that chance, you know. Except for 2012 when it was 94 degrees on the bridge, but um, in September, you know, it's Indian summers and it's like all of a sudden it could be 50 and then 90. So, yeah. and if, and we had the luxury of picking a day in eight days to do it. If they pick one day in September and it just happens to be 95 degrees. Yeah. Ugh. Plus, by the way, you're, you're bringing, you're running a marathon in town with 
people moving back to school and right oh god yeah, right can't do that exactly although they're in school in april so uh, right but it's yeah. different when the move in so well i went down this weekend i did and and i have not been down to boston other than right at the beginning of time when i was traveling a little bit in march april may and um this is very quiet there's there's not a ton going on right and i did go down to um the finish line because boston marathon had put out a beautiful painted line for us oh they for did the fin- it. they did yeah they put out for it, photo it wasn't, ops huh yeah. for photo ops for photo ops so yeah. it said finish strong on it and boston marathon 2020 virtual experience or something like that i don't nice. even know what it said it was really nice they repainted it i think the night before they the the first day of the of the week and um so and people were doing the course and coming. Across, they were running the whole course and coming across it. So when I went down on Sunday, I didn't Sunday, think they'd allow that. Um, <clears throat> they discouraged it for like mass population of people doing sure. it, but people went out and started early. You know, so it was like a trickle in of yep. you know we were there for a few hours downtown and it was a trickle in of people. You know, it was so weird though because yeah. you could hear people cheering, and you come around Boylston. It was so different because there's nothing like coming around the corner at Boylston to come down the, to the finish line and. Yeah. So we walked it and saw it, and I stood out in the middle of the street and took pictures. Yep. You know, in between the traffic. <laughs> <laughs> um, went down and got my jacket. Yep. Oh right? yeah. Yep. So I got my this year's jacket for completing, just to have it because you can't wear this jacket, technically, if you haven't run the race. Right. Right. Even though people do. Yeah. But I had to go down and get my jacket, so <laughs> it was my little reward for my. For my running, so it was fun. It was really fun. So I encourage, I encourage people to uh, go out there and run. And if you can't run a marathon, it doesn't matter. Just go out and walk and get a couple miles in, or even a mile or twenty feet. Go to the mailbox, yep. or something. How many straight is this for you now? This is six. Six straight. Number six. Yeah, go ahead. going for seven. Congratulations. So, thank I, you. And I will start training again soon. I admire marathons. I thank you. Wonder about their sanity, but I admire them. Well. <laughs> There's lots of questions there, right? Well, yeah. and I and so people people talk about what does it take for mental toughness for a marathon? Because when I first did 5Ks and 10Ks, I was like, I will never do a half marathon. And then my friend Heather, um, God rest her soul, she passed away um, last year. Yeah. Um, she was like, let's go do a half marathon at Disney. And I was like, oh, that would be fun. So she hooked me in to go do the half marathon at Disney. And at the same time, she said, but let's do the marathon too. I was like, oh, oh. I don't want to do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then, yeah, and then that was history. And then yeah. I did it. So, yep. you know, and once you're hooked, I was like, I'll never do this again. And I signed up again. So, you know, and I think this was my either 11th or 12th marathon. 11th, 12th. I don't know. I've done Marine Corps, Chicago, Boston six times, Disney twice, three times, twice, something yeah. like that. Wow. So. It's good. So anyway, on to other things now. And thank, oh, and thank you to all the supporters out there that gave me amazing donations to push me over the edge for the New England Patriots Foundation. Because I will be coming back to all of you again for next year. (laughs) And please help me again. um, Because that helps lots of people and good things and and me to run. Um, So back to PTSD. Lots of people contacted me last week after that asking questions about trauma and, and thoughts on it and... Why do people have trauma? And yeah, a question I wanted to ask you last yeah. week about it that that I'll put forth here yeah. is that we think of PTSD, rightfully so, as a combat mm-hmm. uh, condition, but it's not strictly limited to that. No, it's just it's just a matter of chronic trauma, right? It can be 
uh, mentally abusive relationships, physically abusive relationships, yes. uh, parenting, upbringing. Right. Uh, just it's just continued trauma. Just dealing with the continued trauma. Right. Well, so it's it's it can be it can be continued chronic trauma, you know, emotional abuse. Like if well, let's use that as an example, or it could be one or two experiences of something yeah. that gets interpreted and, per and perceived and integrated, you know, cognitively into the brain, and then and that becomes it's a permanent part. Right. So so it's less that the tra tra trauma is happening chronically; it's that you're experiencing it chronically. Right. Yeah. And, and you can experience it chronically externally, like it's happening to you, or it can happen once or twice, and then you have integrated yeah. it, and you're re-experiencing it. So, right. you know, a parent, usually this happens chronically, but let's say, for instance, a parent calls their child stupid once. The child internalizes because they're, they're more sensitive to that. Now their, their narrative and their, and their body and mind right. become, I'm stupid. That's a traumatizing emotionally traumatizing commentary that makes the child become an adult who has lacking confidence because they have repeated that narrative over and right. over again because they're beating themselves up with the narrative that their parent gave them. And they fit the stimulus that they're getting to that right. perception that was planted by the parent. Exactly. Yeah. Now that's, so that particular example. Me and my mother in vacuuming. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. You and yeah. your mom vacuuming. Yeah. So that doesn't mean it's post-traumatic stress syndrome, right? right? But it's it's a form of emotional trauma. That doesn't mean it's going to be post-traumatic stress. Right. It's not going to be. It can be, but you know, it's a continuum. And and so not to not to make you know someone going to someone who's been sexually right. assaulted yeah. or been in a natural disaster or nine eleven or you know. It can be on that continuum in the same same or similar or exact way. It just depends on the stimulus field, what's been integrated, how resilient. So resiliency is a key factor for people. How resilient is a person when the trauma happens? Children are super resilient neurologically. They're very resilient. So, um, Really? They, yes. That's an interesting comment because most of us, as we're told, are suffering from the childhood wound. Well, we are well. We are suffering from the childhood wounds, yeah. but the thing that gets us to be an adult successfully (air quote again) successfully, at least to get us through, is that the resiliency that a child has to be able to compartmentalize or to be able to integrate and manage the message or the thing that happened or the is a, you know you get pushed along that continuum up until your adulthood and it and it falls out. However, it's going to fall out mm -hmm. by those narcissistic injuries, the injuries to the ego, the, the hits that a person takes, they bring it forward. Now, the more resilient, now this is a generalized term so that everyone understands the generalizability of this. Yeah. You know, there's always exceptions to the rule. But when a, when a person gets emotionally abused or physically abused or both, or they have a traumatic experience, their resiliency factors will predict whether or not they will end up successfully managing it and not having what we would consider, you know, the typical fallout of, of trauma, which would be alcohol and drug abuse, violence, right. uh, self-harm, uh, depression, anxiety that's at the extremes, you know, those kinds of things. So you're, the more resiliency a child has, which could come from an outsider, like, you know, there's someone that it, it provides an emotional support that's counter to the person who's giving the person abuse that emotional support yeah. could be enough resiliency building that the child may come up through even though they're having those abusive things the other people that are providing support like a coach a grandparent uh, another parent uh, a friend yeah. those things will couch them for better resiliency and push them forward to have a healthier outcome 
around the side. Um, and then some people are born temperamentally. So there's different types of temperaments born. You're either born, there's three temperaments that we look at more than that, but three generally is you're um, uh, difficult, <laughs> slow to warm up or easy. So people who have an easier temperament oftentimes will predict out that their resiliency will be much better and they'll yeah. do better with those things. Slow to warm up is kind of that temperament that's, you know, I'm a little shy at the beginning, but I get used to it and we're okay. Yeah. That kind of, that has, you know, it's exactly how it sounds. It's kind of the in-between on the fence. And then the, you know, difficult people have difficult temperaments. They're going to have resiliency issues yep. because they're more belligerent to themselves. They're more combative to themselves. They're more combative to the world around them. But one would make the case that, well, are they difficult because they're born that way, which some theory would say, or are they difficult because life has treated them right out of the gate right. in a way that would make them difficult? So um, that's all. that all can be integrated into the trauma understanding if we look at some of those factors. And is it true, it's been my experience both personally and yes. dealing with people, is that people have different personalities within their own personality. In other words, um, the, a person is a different personality as an athlete than they are in oh, life, yeah. or they're a different personality at work than they are at life, or yeah, so you have different your, personality as a parent than as in life. So I, so what I, I call it personas. So you, yeah. you put on, you know, your your face mask or your game face, right? Right. Yeah. We use my term for my <laughs> business. You put on your game face differently for different situations. So, the core of the person will be the same, but the core will drive. You know, your internal understanding of yourself will drive your social, your personal, your job, your family because uh, your ego is different in each of these situations right. how you perceive yourself right. as an athlete right. as as a worker as a right as how a do parent. i see myself yeah how does the world see me how right. do i see the world and how do i think that others think about me right <laughs> right yeah. so you know you, i many times and you, you've probably seen this people are really 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 confident at work yeah then they go home and they lack confidence in their family or their husband or their wife or whatever it is that they're very different. So I have clients that I see that they'll come in and talk about how strong they are at work and they've got great jobs and they're doing really well. And then the issue that happens is when they go home, they have, they, they're disempowered. They right. don't have any of that same thing. And they'll say, I have all this at work, but I don't have that home. Right. And then we figure out what's going on at home. And oftentimes, not always, oftentimes it's, it's a, um, repeating pattern of something that happened in childhood, go back to childhood, of, of their own relationships with their own families that then gets reproduced in their adult life and their relationships at home, which wouldn't happen at work because you don't right. have to have that interpersonal connection at work. You don't have that intimacy at work. You don't have the intense relationships at work. You're just doing the job and being able to be present for that. So um, people don't bring that into those spaces. And people who are susceptible to that, correct me if I'm wrong, are people who uh, whose ego is painted mostly externally. Say more about that so I understand. So, for example, listen, you, at work, you feel good, you feel strong, you feel yeah. confident because the feedback you get from other people right. and the feedback you get on your job yes. is that, look, you're good. Yeah. And then you get home and, you know, your wife's, you know, complaining, you know, you're not... You haven't done something right. You've never done something right, right whatever. Right. And then that, that paints your ego there. If you're right. overly dependent on 
external determination external validation, of your, yeah. right yes yeah, so in can, that case absolutely yeah. because then so that's a perfect example of like a childhood resiliency issue like for you know oftentimes if you're in a relationship where you're coming home from a great place of getting kudos and praise all day and then you're coming home to someone being like you didn't do this you don't do that you're terrible blah 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 yeah. it ends up probably repeating some pattern of that of that ego hit that you got, right. you know, and, and for everyone that's new to listening, ego in this case, we're, we're always talking about ego is your reality manager. It's what re manages your perception of what you think of the world and the world around you. Mm -hmm. So, <clears throat> um, so that's just a repeat over. So yeah. when you're coming home and that's happening, it's likely it's happened to you before. We tend to get into relationships unless we have super great awareness that repeat patterns of our past, unless again, we go, oh, that person, before we even get over the gate, you know, like, that person's going to do that to me, and I know that, and i got to get away well, from it. Well, chances are, at a given age, <clears throat> when you're in a relationship, you've gone through three or four or five unsuccessful right. relationships. Right, hopefully. So you've learned. Well, and hopefully you've learned, yeah. <laughs> but uh, that's, a, that's a wonderful hope. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. Right, so I, um, I hope for that for all the people that end up coming to me, because... Yeah. You know, I often see people that are, yeah. you know, they've learned, but they haven't seen some of those patterns. It's hard to find, it's hard to see the depth of that unless you're really doing self, good self-reflection or having someone help you get down that road. That's what good therapy does, though. Right. It helps you get to that level. So you go, oh, there it is. But a lot of people buy, the, there's a rejection, there's a right. ego hit right. with, with the loss of a relationship. And right. a lot of people accept that as true right in other words the relationship didn't work because i'm worthless right you know and they right. they personalize that as exactly. opposed to the relationship didn't work because it didn't work exactly you know exactly and and so i mean that's a great example i mean because people for a variety of reasons whether it's social cultural religious um it, you know people who get you know married and they get divorced and they're still of the mind of like divorce is failure right divorce yeah. equals failure i'm a failure i fail and I can't tell you over the 24 years of doing this how many people have sat in my office saying that. Yeah. And re reframing and understanding how traumatizing that is to do to yourself when it's not, it, it you know, it takes two people. There's a communication breakdown. There's other breakdowns that happen that yeah. you want to call it a failure. Okay, but you know how I think of failure. Failure is an opportunity to learn something new. You know, you have to be able to go through those things to be able to move forward. Um, but just because a relationship didn't work out, yes, it goes against maybe religious doctrine that you were part yeah. of, but that's not the point. The point is, is if you look at human nature, we want to be connected. And if we're disconnected in the thing that we're with for life, how torturous, torturous is that? And yeah. how miserable is that? And and you and I both know many people who stay together based on not love, respect, and and connection. They stay together out of obligation because yeah. it's doggedness, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. And that's and that's and that's traumatic. That's very traumatic for people. And and it's it's I, and I see lots of people that do that. You know, and we and and the work that we do is they come to an understanding in the office about. This is where this is what I'm choosing to do, and they accept that they're going to stay based on the the dogma of what they've chosen. But they also then work to manage their responses, their reactions, how to make themselves happy within the context because right. they've chosen to stay. It's never my job to tell someone to leave, stay, go, come, you know, whatever. It's about what do you want to do? Do you want to stay and do? If you do, then this is the parameters you have to do that. Um, if it's abusive, I always encourage sure. people for 
lots of different things like to get out or yep. to move around or to have separation or right um but at the end of the day the person has you have to figure out how to help that person manage whatever they choose the best well the, the this comes down to the basic issue with everybody is giving seeding power in other words right. thinking that everything is external everything is happening to them to when them. in to a large extent you have control. You don't feel you have control because with rec with control comes responsibility. Right. If you accept the fact that you can control the outcome, right. you're responsible for the outcome right. and people don't want to deal with that. Right. Right. So they right. say, no, this happened to me. Right. Well, yeah, it kind of did, but you also had a part in it. Well, that's, and so that's, you know, it's one of the hardest questions I ask for people early on in those kinds of, in these kinds of scenarios, because it's, it, again, going back to trauma, it's traumatizing for people that, you know, when you say, well, what did you, you know, what do you think you contributed to that? Yeah. And I've learned over the years how to couch that in a successful way, because yeah. it really can hurt, because people immediately go to blame that they're being, it's not that. It's like, well, where in this did something go wrong for your end it doesn't mean you own 100 percent or 90 percent it's just 10 percent you know and and i always bring it down to there's a miscommunication and a huge disconnect that brought both of you to do whatever is happening um and it's different for, uh, generalizable but it's different for every scenario and you know people uh, have affairs and people stay together they they leave each other but when they stay together that's a common dialogue of the trauma of the affair and yeah. and what happens after the affair of having someone talk about um you know what did i do to make him or her go that way and it's like well you, you probably disconnected or there's some big dis disconnect and it's great when people can have that conversation because usually there's so much better connection not always but yeah. you know it's about like okay we can we can move forward with let's just work on connection because i mean totally separate topic but affairs aren't about sex they are but that's yeah. the that's the symptom of the problem the affairs are about people looking to connect where they're not connected in other ways right so they're looking for someone you know you hear oftentimes they listen to me. Yeah. They they're not like my husband or my wife. They 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 get me. Like it's because something in the connection has disappeared. And then right. the sex thing is just like the icing on the cake is just it, that's the overage. Not that it makes it right, but they you know people want to understand because they go right to oh they had sex with someone else. Well actually they communicated with someone else and that was intense for them because they right. weren't getting that at home, which is way more of an emotional connection and it fills in some of the trauma spaces like emptiness, loneliness, all those things that they weren't getting. Yeah. And so people are um, much more healed when we do those processes because it's not just about blame and shame and uh, you did this and understanding it and people only owning their spots. And that's it, hard. What you describe about dealing with the fear brings us to the second most important concept, I think, which is the ability to live in the here and now. Right. Because right. the affair happened, you make a decision about how you're going to proceed going forward if right. you want to keep the relationship together, and it's a matter of moving out of that trauma of the past. I exactly. mean, it happened. Right. It's not going to change. Right. It's there. Right. But you're dealing with what's in front of you right now. And it doesn't mean it's not going to happen again, too. People always ask for the guarantees. I'm like, there are no guarantees in yeah. this. It's a matter of, like, how connected are you? And is the connection that you, you, you reconnect to, is it enough for both of you? Right. And some, sometimes very often it is. And many times it's not. Yeah. So um, it just it's very dependent on the on the work a person really wants to do. And sometimes it's just too far, too far gone. But when you face that crossroad where you understand that you're responsible for your own outcomes. Yes. To a large extent. Right. I mean, obviously, there are external things we can't control. Right. But to a large extent, you're responsible for your own outcome. People either embrace that as opportunity or right. they fear it. 
and right. run from it, right? Right. Or they take it as responsibility that they can't handle and they run right. from it. Yeah. And that and, and and so in my business, it's much more of that end than yeah. the oh, taking sure. the responsibility. It's it's very hard to find people who will take responsibility and accountability and and have again, that's not blame. That's different no, from blame because people totally go different. to blame right away. Right. It's and, and that's I didn't what, cause him to have an affair. No, that's not what we're saying. Right. But, but you had a role. Well, right. And yeah. and so that's and it's there's many multiple sessions in a row of having those conversations before we can even get to that conversation about understanding this isn't about blame. What is responsibility taking? It's about, you know, oh, I wasn't there. The fa- the past year, I decided when he was going out at night and not coming back till two in the morning, I just decided not to say anything anymore. That right there is is a way to say, okay, but maybe a year ago you should have said something. You yeah. shouldn't have stopped saying something because it made it easier to have it happen. That doesn't mean it's a, your fault. It means no. yeah. you have to see what pattern has to change for it to get to move again. But it goes back to that trauma. That's emotional trauma that's happening within a marriage. So we talk about post-traumatic stress. You know, not quite the same thing as, you know, all the things we talked about from last week. But it's traumatic in a marriage. It's very... Yeah. Um, emotionally straining because you have to be able to look at okay what what do i need to do different to make this healthier or make this better um i have a couple clients come to mind right now over the years that have been you know their their husband or wife has been or their or their partner has been in addiction and they'll say i didn't do anything to cause blah 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 you know this to happen and more often than not there's an enabling yep like so that it's like and that's it's as it's simple and as easy but difficult to come down to actually the enabling piece is what's helping this along. When you can get the enabling under control, you can still have the marriage, but you have to be able to look at how are you enabling this to happen? Right. How are you enabling that person to continue to do what they're doing? Instead of stepping back, you can still be in the marriage, but they can do what they want, but you don't have to be a part of it. And you know? unfortunately, I think one of the big problems here is parenting these days seems more and more to model external control over your life yes kids have external control of their lives right the that action the consequence link isn't forged right so kids don't understand they have control over the outcome of a situation well, they, and and i think I because think they're told they have no control well yes and yeah. and i think you i you absolutely i've seen that more and more and um you know that's one of the complaints about millennials <laughs> millennials yep. right is that yep. they you know that everything is external you know it happened to me it happened on me right it, you know every you know everybody's against me um do it for me yep. all that so it's it's really about turning that around and being able to say you've still got to be able to do for yourself how are you going to do that um and i think there's a little shift i've seen even in the pandemic now i've seen a little shift over the summer mm-hmm. in parenting with because pe- really i a little not a yeah. ton I, just in my practice i've seen a little shift of parents realizing some of that because they're spending so much time with their kids so there's more realization that wait a second there's a lot going on that they weren't privy to now they're privy because they're with them all the time right. and seeing that oh my gosh my kid waits for things to happen they're not generating that and then looking at themselves i just had this conversation especially as they try to entertain them because kids are looking for external entertainment and 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 having that conversation in the past couple days with people um about parents about what they realize now that kids are going back to school and their kids are still at home going back to school and what the responsibility of the parent here's like relationship talk right it's What's your role in your child still sleeping till two in the afternoon? Yeah. What's your role yeah. in the fact that you're still in the house and they're not doing or they're not motivated or they're 
you know, all those things. And so it's the same kind of thing we were just talking about with couples. It's how do you become responsible to take your share of the accountability to make another person you're with be their best person. Yep. Um, and it's hard because, well, because it's, it's, it's easy, but it's hard for people that haven't been practicing it. <clears throat> it's easy, but sometimes it's difficult. For example, letting yes. letting a kid suffer the consequences of their own yes. action yes. is difficult. Yes. Because it causes unrest and right. people generally are trying to stay away away from unrest. So mm -hmm. they placate. Right. And then again that just reinforces the external well, the external you, problem. We talked about that last week. Yeah. And, and and this happens this is a very common thing, is inconsistent inconsistent consequences, inconsistent follow through, inconsistent because the kids learn the pattern of you're gonna tell me that I'm gonna lose like my iPad for for four years and you take it for four hours and then it's back so I don't yep. really care so there's no incentive for them to because it's not consistent to stay the course I you know if you don't do this I'm not going to give you that and then they know that the parents not going to pay attention they're going to forget they you know and I always like it when parents tell me well I forgot how do you forget <laughs> that you had yeah. this big screaming match with this child took this away from them and then Two hours later, you gave it back, and you don't remember. And oftentimes, the answer comes back with, I just don't want the fight with them. Yeah. And I point out that if you don't, if the fight's not worth it, this is going to look like that down the line. Right. And, and then they're like, oh, and then, you know, two or three, and I'm, I'm with clients long enough that I see the fallout, and two and three years down the line, I mean, I have clients that will say to me, oh, I should have listened to you. Because, <laughs> because once that dynamic is established, right. and kids... The kid's best skill, a kid's best skill is reading the dynamic. That's their exactly. survival mechanism, right. reading their parents and right. understanding the interactions. Right. So once they decide you're not willing to draw the line in the sand, they will push it. Absolutely. And they'll keep pushing it. Absolutely. And it's, so it's, I, I tell parents it's not, no longer a line in the sand. It's a line in concrete. If you're putting it in sand, it's movable. Yeah. It has to be in concrete. And, and it, you know, that visual gives some parents, I've had seen a lot of success with parents putting that line because it's a, like you just said, survival mode. It's a defense mechanism that comes up. It's a coping strategy. Yep. People, you know, parents will say, oh, my kids maneuver me. Well, you yeah. allow them to maneuver you because you're teaching them a coping strategy to get what they want and need in life. Yeah. And this isn't new. This no. has been going on forever. I just, like you just said, I've seen an increase more and more of this is that the line in the sand is a line in the sand. It's, it's movable. It's, I don't want to put the effort in. The parent's tired. They forgot. And the kids are counting on that. And what yeah. and it's so people are like oh it takes so much effort to put that in place. It only takes a few times to be really staying back on course to consistency to have a kid fall back into line of where you need them so they do the right thing for themselves so they don't get themselves in trouble. You have to manage it. You have to be careful. I remember when my my firstborn was young, my daughter, and we got into a situation where it wasn't punishment, but it was a consequence. Right. And I lost my will for it in the middle of it because I thought that all right, I went a little too far on this. Yeah. But still, it was very important to me to follow through. It was like, right. if I say it, it's going to happen. And it was right. a miserable time for me. So laying out that consequence going forward was something that I knew I could sustain. Right. That I knew I could enforce, that I, that I knew it happened. It's, and that's, and that's yeah. the recommendation I make to parents yeah. is, you know, because usually they come in, or even in, in, in my friend group, they'll say, you know, you're grounded for a month. And I immediately yeah. say, 
are you able to do that? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, yeah. and then you know, there's still that window back downtime. They're like, okay, well, three days. You know, because yeah. because the anger and the emotion, the reaction is so great at that moment yeah. that they're so mad. Like you're grounded for life, <laughs> and I'm but, like, oh, you can't do that because you'll never be able to follow through on that. This is a basic principle in relationships, and whether it be parent-child or any relationship, is that you reward the behavior you want, yeah. you discourage the behavior you don't want. Right. Because every, you know, we see it with our pets. Yeah. You know, my girlfriend will feed the dog at the coffee table. And it's like, well, what's going to happen is every time you eat here, that dog is going to be whining and looking for food because you're establishing the dynamic. Right. 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 Exactly. Don't reward that behavior because you don't want that behavior. Right. right? Well, and, and so Pavlov's dogs, right? You know, you have the conditional, classic conditioning and operant conditioning. I mean, yeah. if we just go back to the basics of psychology and behaviorism, right? Yeah. I mean, that's, you're, you're training, you're training little people to become healthy big people if they have good understanding of you know causality right. reward punishment consequence all those things and and super important to keep consistency yeah, if, if nothing else consistency and if you don't expect them if you don't make them accept the consequences of their own actions and by the way you control it you don't want them to get hit by a bus or anything like that <laughs> yes that's important <laughs> but there are some consequences you just let happen right exactly right? because they need to understand that they have some control over their outcomes right and that actions do have consequences and that's such a basic thing that seems to be missing more it's, and more it's so hard for people and that and and i don't i don't i maybe it's more and more i i mean it's sort of a consistent thing that i've seen over the years of doing this and even in in my growing up years i think that um parents people don't like to see other people suffering they feel bad it's yeah. uncomfortable i mean you see this in i see this in addiction work all the time that you know the parenting of the person who's in addiction if we do a good history on the person, it, the parenting, it's not their fault. So before everybody attacks me on this, it's not that it's their fault, but the parenting is very commonly across addiction people I see is that it's that they didn't allow the person to sit to self-soothe and comfort themselves through the painful things or the emotional right. uncomfortability of whatever was going on. Instead, the parent was always there just to catch them right before the person had to hit the bottom. To f And this is before addiction. It's, you know, it's the over-coddling or the under-coddling or the smothering or the non-smothering, the helicopter or the absence. It, it's the extremes of these things that lead a child to become an adolescent or adult who's now dependent on someone taking over their comfortable feelings yeah. for them or, you know, it's like, oh, I'm going to cushion it for you. Lacking an internal uh, mechanism to self-soothe, self right. they look for an external one. And, right. And, and so, everything is everything seems to be external. Right. So in the, the case, last couple of generations. So in the case of, that's why speaking. I use addiction, yeah. because addiction is in the past, you see, we see addiction is so great in the past, you know, couple decades, more and more and more right now. And what you, you, there's lots of different pieces to it. But if we just look at the family as a unit, it's lack of, the, it's lack of connection. You know, it's lack of connection from the family that's, it's, not teaching children how to regulate and self-regulate, not self-soothe, self-soothe in a way that's not healthy because the parent wasn't there to give them what they needed in the beginning. So the child found other ways to do it and yeah. compensate and, and maneuver their environment to get what they need as a coping strategy, which then leads down to these other things because for whatever reason, you know, sometimes, you know, parents are like, I don't know what I did wrong. It's not that you did something wrong. It's that every parent's going to mess their kids up. It's just a matter of like what, 
multiple combination of things happen that was lacking. But at the end of the day, when we talk about like addiction and trauma and all those things, it's about how resilient is the person. And that will predict out somewhat how bad the addiction or bad the the emotional disorder will be is because the resiliency just isn't there right to get themselves out of the of the place without tons of support which people can and do obviously there's good recovery and all of these things but it's about building up that resiliency that was lacking it's a reparenting process legitimately it's a reconnection reparenting process to what was missing in the child's life into adulthood to make them have that whether it's trauma addiction depression anxiety bipolar disorder that's been exacerbated by some of these things because that's you know more of a genetic push um those are all pieces there that all we could talk about all different mental health issues and they all really have that um lack of consistency in in many cases or or some that really wasn't present to make sure that the person had enough support. And by support, that doesn't mean coaching them to hold them from falling on the floor. Kids have to to fail. I tell tell adult, uh, you know, parents of adult addicts oftentimes will say, I don't want want them to be out on the street. Sometimes, unfortunately, the person has to be out on the street because that's going to be their bottom. And if you keep protecting them from being out on the street, they're never going to not be... In they're going to operate as if there are, there's a net there, right? Because yeah, there is, right? Because and and then when the and then when you tell them the first time that you're not going to be there, you're going to get, I hate you. I'm never going to come back if something bad happens to me. It's all your fault. And then that brings there's there's the coping strategy. Now they brought the parent using guilt and shame yep. that they've learned themselves to bring the parent back in line to enable them again. I'll give you money, you know, because they, the parent doesn't want the guilt or the shame of right. something bad happening. And it, so it's traumatic. You know, it's the theme of, that's emotionally traumatic on all ends there is that it's just a constant looping of the emotional trauma of addiction. It starts young, yeah. young, young, young. And we've seen this blossom societally, I think. It's my interpretation of anyway, and I know it sounds like an old man talking about this, but High school, for example, has become a tra- traumatic event. People, you know, is something that... Beca- Wait a second. I'm just going to have a little joke moment here. I would not want to go back to high school because it was traumatic. <laughs> and <laughs> was that it? was a long time ago. Did you find it traumatic? I hated high school. Yeah? Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, it's, it, it's fine. I, I would not go back to high school. Ugh. But... But I, I'm going with you. I just had to, I had to throw no, that in. It was like, oh, so traumatic. But high school has become the enemy to kids, and I a lot am. of it is because they just accept the external. And there are a lot. Of, there's a lot of external stuff. There's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of clicks. There's a lot of things that don't yeah. go your way. There are responsibilities. There yeah. are classes that you have to deal with. Yes. You know, obligations I mean, you have to meet, things like that. But kids are uh, approaching it from a victim status now. I would agree. I yeah. think so in 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 reference to what I was saying, there wasn't that mindset of victim status. It was it was very different. I just didn't like high school and I would say that half the people that I know in my life now would say the same thing, but for different reasons, but I think you're right now. There well, is nobody a loved high school, but you learned skills to cope with it. Yes. And and to control right. your outcome. Right. Well, right. and that's and that's the difference yeah. is that I learned and I, and I had the resiliency coming up through that I learned how to control for myself what I right. needed to as opposed to just falling victim to it's happening to me. Um, whereas now, I, I would agree. That and now the, it's expanded into society as a whole. Society more, is um, yeah. victim mentality and children, adolescents, teenagers being much more um, 
it's, it's again, lack of consistency. Yep. You know, the, the, to, the, a child who comes from a home that doesn't have consistency and comes into a school system that's putting structure and discipline in, and now you've got this opposing force. And that's, you know, I use that as, I always use the extreme one so you get the good visual, but that's that's very common that, you know, I come from lack of structure and now you want me to have structure yeah. and I'm going to butt up against that because you can't do that to me. You're right. not my parent. Yeah. You can't make me do that. I'm not going to... Mm, and, and, you know, the extremes, but nonetheless, it happens. And then it's the victim of, like, everyone's against me. Yep. No one likes me. That teacher hates me. I hate that teacher. Right. Um, you know, first day of school, my math teacher hates me. What happened? Uh, they looked at me wrong. Yep. Mm. They looked at you wrong. What's that look? I mean, this is a conversation I just had with someone. What do you mean they looked at you wrong? Well, she just looked at me like I was stupid. Not, now, that's not the teacher. Right. That's something that comes from home. Right. And then people will be like, don't blame the parents. And not blaming the parents, but that child has a narrative internal to their core belief that they're stupid. A look that the teacher gave is a familiar look that they're associating with something that they've seen out in the world, home, teach, mm -hmm. uh, somewhere else, that they're bringing in and interpreting off of a quick visual, this person doesn't like me and thinks I'm stupid. But instead of that ah. child coming home and being told, uh, essentially, you have some control over this outcome. Mm -hmm. You got to deal with some of this adversity right. and go back. You've got a parent who is more than willing to accept the same victimhood role. Right. And it's oh, like, gosh, yeah. what's happening in high school? Her problems in high school, his problems in high school aren't because of how he was brought up. It's because the school is bad. Right. And it's shifting the blame external again because people, again, putting the putting the outcome, giving. Given control over the outcome, you have to accept responsibility exactly. for the outcome. Exactly. Well, and and so we're several generations into this, no one willing to uh, accept responsibility for their own outcomes. And, and, well, and, and so this is, so external focus of control or locus, we call it locus of control, yeah. and internal locus of control. So I, I always bring this up in my I learned about that on Big Bang Theory. Oh, external I, locus of control. I, Sheldon. <laughs> Sheldon, right? Sheldon taught no, that. Uh, Wasn't it Sheldon? It was Penny. Oh, was it? Oh, Penny. I love Penny. When its mother <laughs> explained external locus of control to her, I say hey, that's cool. So, well, <laughs> I, they always do great psych um, references in that show. Um, I use them in my intro to psych class. But I was just going to say, and in my intro to psych class, I teach about the external internal locus control. And the way I teach it is, I say, when you do well in this class you will go home and say it's because you studied, because you did all the work, because you right. showed up, you did. If you don't do well in this class, guess whose fault it's going to be? And they all go, uh, and I go, it's going to be mine because you're going to say you, and, right. and then it sticks. And like, if you fail the exam, it's not because I didn't teach you. It's because you did something, not me. Right. So I use that as the example of yeah. don't put it out in the world that when it's a failure, it's someone else's fault. But when it's an a success, you take it on as your own. It's equal across the board. It's what you make of it. And it's really great because you can see that register moment yep. in kids when they're, they're like, oh, because it's so tangible to see and apply that. Yeah, you have you know, control over this outcome. Don't put it on outcome. me because you yeah. fail or or you think I didn't like you or whatever it is. Right. You know, because I know, you know, thirty kids in my class. You know, there's going to be at least one that's going to be like, I she didn't like me. Yeah. By the way, I I can't not like you. I only see you on Zoom. I have no idea who you are. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. So, but it, it but it's it's got that piece. But I think that's a great way to look at the external versus internal because there's much more externalization. Um, 
uh, one, one of my really good friends and I were just having a conversation yesterday about externalizers, like that, how much society has come to externalize. We we're talking about school and going back yeah. to school and people and teachers. No, and you kids. were right the first time. It's societal. It, right it, it, it's right. It's yeah. external, external, external yeah. is like, it's nothing owned here. It's all, you know, this is happening to me. And right. going back to February, when we first started the show, I was talking about that with you and it's, it's either you make it happen or something happens to you. I'd rather have it be me, even if it's a crappy outcome. I'd rather be able to own that so I know how to fix it versus, yep. uh, well, you know, they did it to me. Yeah, plus, it has the benefit of actually being true. Yeah. Right. And again, right. there are because external the story, things. Yeah, things the storyline story yeah. usually is a lie. Yeah. It's usually just a deny. It's, you're denying what's really going on. And, right. and people go through life like that, which I know because that's why I have a job. Because <laughs> yep. people come in in denial all the time. Because the benefit of this mindset where you understand you have control over your outcomes, the benefit is you start to assume control over your outcomes. You start right. to differentiate the legitimate external right. forces with the things you have control over. Then you focus on the things you have control over and your outcomes become better. Exactly. And again, you're going to run into... Listen, COVID is external. Yes. You know, what's happened to us with COVID is external. There's right. no denying that. Right. How we respond to it, however, is internal. Exactly. Yeah. And and that's, and that's I can't tell you how many times a, a week I have that conversation just about that topic alone, because it's, it's not like it's in the background anymore. It's still right in the present. So it's, well, yes, it's there. And at the same time it's there, you still have to do these things. Uh, yeah. I'm, so I'm fighting with my kids. I'm fighting with my partner. Right. I've gained 20 pounds. Right. Um, you know, I'm having financial problems. And again, some of that is external. COVID is external. Right. But that's about your response to it as opposed to right. COVID. Well, and, and so so to the, we always come back around to the weight issue. So people yeah. have been saying, you know, I've, oh, I've gained 15, 20 pounds. And you know, I see. And my first thing is, why couldn't you go outside Yeah. and walk? Why couldn't you? And it's and you have you know some people are like well you know I don't do that whatever but most of the time it's it is an aha moment that wait a second yeah and it, and it's not like people are you know, they're smart they're bright but it's well I, I I just sat at home but you've made a choice to respond by eating and sitting inside versus going out right you could still go out your response to this has to be something that's healthy for you and you know well we talked about it with um, the chiropractor head on yeah. And Dr. I, Calhoun. Dr. Calhoun. Yes. And I remember that was a big point in my life where I finally hurt my back to the point where I went to a chiropractor and had it fixed. And before that, I was externalizing. It's like, well, I'm just this old. This pain, yeah. This right. pain, you know, this comes with age. Yeah, there's nothing I can do about it. Yeah. Right. It just, it, it's happened to me. I've aged, so I right. have pain. And then right. I realized I don't have to have pain at this age. And it changed my outlook on the weight thing, too. Right. I don't have to be this heavy, heavy. either. It's not... Right. It's not because I'm older. Right. It's because I'm not doing the things Do, I should be exactly. doing. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So that took the control from external age right. to internal. I have control over what I put in my body, how much I exercise, things right. like that. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, and you can't, and talk, you know, talk about the external of age. I've, I've been around a couple of people over the, you know, because of my age, which is 27. Don't ever forget that. Kissy <laughs>, laughs. If you guys can't see, lose laughing at me. I'm yeah. 27. I'm celebrating the anniversary of my 27th birthday again. 27. Coming. January. X, 27Y, 27. Oh, yeah. Um, but when people, when we're out and about, whatever, and yeah. someone will say, oh, my gosh, I'm turning 50 or I'm turning, right? And people will say, how old are you? And we start talking about it. There's been a couple of females in, in my life recently that are like, oh, I, what do you do to do that? Because I don't look like I'm 50. Yeah. Yep. And, but people are like, and that's why I say I'm 27. Yeah. <laughs> 
because people are like, oh, wait, how close is she to 27? I sort of leave it out there right. in the range of 25 years because that, that's the external. And, and I say, I look the way I look because I have good genes because my parents both are, they, they're in their 70s. My mother's birthday is today, by the way. Happy oh. birthday to my mother. Happy birthday, Mom. And, um, and she's in her 70s. I won't tell anyone how old because then that will give away my age. But, <laughs> um, but, you know, I have good genes. My parents both look, my dad looks like he's, I would say, like in his 40s, right. the way I see him. But, um, but that's not enough. But, then, but that's not enough. But yeah. so I say it's good genes. However, yeah. however, I eat mostly clean, occasional yeah. occasional yucky stuff here and there um i you know i i drink my couple glasses of wine here and there you know sometimes a little more than others just like the food yeah. but i exercise i get good sleep 99 percent of the time yeah. except the nights of four hours you know i i try to do all the little grid right. pieces that make it that way so that i you know i try to keep my stress down which i don't do all the time because you know human but it's those pieces so i'm i'm always working on the puzzle like I have a, I have a, a, a spoke in my head, like a wheel and I have all the little pieces and I assess that on a daily basis. What piece do I really need to work on today so that I'm not, so my wheel isn't lopsided and I'm going down the road falling right. over. <laughs> so, but that's, I mean, that's really what it is when people say, oh, because they're comparing, you can see the social comparison when you say, oh, I'm that age too. And they're like, oh. Yeah. But what they, uh, what they immediately do in that situation is feel like they're being blamed for, right. for their outcome. Right. And right. it's not that they're being blamed. It's just, well, you have so to realize you have, you have some responsibility. Well, they so, for and it. they socially compare with a nonverbal of all of a sudden they realize that we're the same age or whatever. And they, they have the moment of like, oh, yeah. And then, so the last, so this is what came up. The last person that I had this with like two weeks ago, um, she was, she's like, oh, well, and right away, without even saying anything, there was no comparison. It was just, how old are you? How you know? And she went right to, oh, I smoked, and and you know, I have degenerative disc disease. Like it went right to yeah. excuses, and I'm like, oh, that's so sad, and yeah. blah blah blah. So, but it went right to the reasons why instead of it being, she's beautiful. She's beautiful. I think she was great. I, it didn't yep. matter to me. I don't judge. But immediately she was judging herself, and that's the external thing we're talking about. Like self, it's like self trauma. Right. You know, she went right to and that that comes that comes from something she was taught way back in the day of like, if I'm not going to beat you down, I'm going to teach you how to do it yourself. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to bring that bad that bad uh, parent in your head right with you or that bad teacher or that bad coach. And you're just going to beat yourself down because you socially compared yeah. with no external information other than we're the same age. And all of a sudden you're like, here's the reason why I don't look good. But no one said that. Yeah. So but that's you know, that's you know, the talk about trauma. That's emotional self trauma yep. that people do themselves. I, I mean, I can't, I can't think of people who don't do that on some level. Everyone's got a little bit of that. It's just on the continuum, right. and being able to know that you do it. Because it's preferable to be the victim than it is to eat right, sure. you know, work right, put the diligence in to right. to get the better outcome. Exactly, and it's just easier. Oh yeah, especially because you have that fear of failure. It's right. like, well, I'm going to try this, but it's not going to work because right. they do it for two weeks and. You know, they haven't lost 30 pounds exactly. in two weeks. Exactly. Yeah. Well, and, and going back so to... So they stop feeling they're a failure again. Right. Yeah. Well, and so that's the... So going back to the beginning of the show about, like, how I said, you know, I've taken a couple of days off. I know myself well enough to know because I did a little, you know, a little movement in my diet over the past couple of days just because I could. Um, some friends... <laughs> I'm going to out myself here. I'm going to get so <laughs> much... I'm going to out this. And I don't care. So my friends bought me this beautiful cake, right? Yep. Because, you know, me, I ate cake... 
never. Never. Right. Yeah. So they bought me this huge cake, and um, yeah, I love frosting, so <laughs> you should not put cake in front of me, right? right? So you know, and I brought it home with me. Now, don't from, externalize it. I know. You still have the decision I, whether to eat it I, or not. I should have left it, but I yeah. didn't because I, you know. Yeah. And so, oh my God, I, I, yeah, indulged in that frosting. I didn't care about the cake. I just. <laughs> I did. I was like, "Oh yeah. my god, this is so good!" But as soon as I did it, I started to feel yucky, and that was the quick reinforcer because now I've worked on it so much to go, "Oh, oh, that's not worth it." Because the feeling yeah. that came with it, instead of you know people that just keep indulging and bypass the feeling, I was like, "Yeah, I'm good with that." So, well, none that's the, the so nonetheless, my husband, yeah. I, I heard him this morning. I'm like, "What are you doing?" It was like two thirty in the morning. I'm like. What are you doing? It's like I'm eating the cake. <laughs> I'm like, good, finish it. So we're not in the garbage this morning. I'm like, goodbye to the cake. Yeah. How many times I've sent food home with my daughter? If you leave this in this house, I'm going to eat it. So yeah. take it. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah. But that's the thing with sugar responses. That's a classic sugar response yeah. because you think you can't live without sugar. Oh no. And then once you do for a little while, it becomes yeah. difficult. Yeah. I mean, well, it's like me with bagels. I love bagels. You got everybody's. Oh no, but I still. I love bagels. I eat a bagel and I'm in so much trouble. Yeah, I am in so much but trouble. But you still and, enjoy it. And I think John the other day, my husband was saying like, "Oh, he's like the joy of you watching you eat a bagel is amazing, but the ten minutes after is so <laughs> painful." <laughs> so you know, I'm the I'm the bagel eater like at Christmas, Christmas morning, and I suffer. I've told you this before. Yeah. You know, talk about traumatizing myself. I yep. know it's going to happen. I'm like, oh, I love bagels, though, with cream cheese and salmon and capers and suffer. Yeah, but anyway. you still enjoy it. With sugar, with me, it was, I mean, and not that I've eliminated sugar. It's hard in the society. You can't eliminate sugar. But now, like, if I if I don't bring my own tea, which I told you the other day, yeah. I drink it because I don't need milk and sugar to right. drink it. It tastes right. good on its own. Right. If I, yesterday I didn't bring it, so I ended up at Dunkin' Donuts getting a tea, and it's like one sugar which they shovel in. Yeah. And it's like, it's just disgusting. Yeah. Just too much sugar. Yeah. Yeah. But you come, you come that way, you become that way very easily. Oh yeah. And then you're in line at Dunkin' Donuts and someone goes, give me a coffee with 13 sugars. And it's like, four creams, four sugars. And it's like, where's the coffee? I I heard a 13. Mm -hmm. I have. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, that was the thing. I went in to get a a tea and I wanted, I said, I want lots of almond milk. You know, Lots. in it, and they said they came back and said half almond milk. Said, no, not half almond milk. You know, just like, but lots in there, right? In Dunkin' Donuts, right. lots is half. Well, half I asked, milk. so I asked. Wow, we've gone all over the map today. Yeah. So I asked for a splash. So I'm always a, a coconut, medium coconut ice with a splash of skim and a half of Splenda. If I I have to, de- I have one place I go to. They give you perfect. half. I, I just, they just they just do half the packet. <laughs> Right. So listen, you're fooling right? yourself. So, <laughs> probably. Yeah. So they so but in the drive through that I go through now, like they just they see my car pull up and they've got it. But if I go to someone new or whatever and I say a splash, I'll get this coffee will be like cream yeah. up to I'm like, yeah. no <laughs> cream. And I love cream. And I'm like, no, no cream because like bagels. Yep. Cream's not my friend. Um, but it's but the the when you're used to the pattern of what you've got. Right. And then you change it up by adding the extra of this or that of the sugar. Oh, it's, you know, and, yeah. you're, and you're mindful of it. It's the mindfulness. Is when, you know, when people are just addicted to sugar, which America is, yep. you know, you just don't notice it. It's like, oh, 13 sugars. I mean, how do you di- know the difference between one sugar and 13 sugars? I mean, seriously. But I mean, other than the crunchy, thick thing at the well, bottom of it. Ugh. Um, <laughs> no judgment. I don't know about ugh. one and 13. There's a big difference there. <laughs> I but, know, right? But at um, a certain point, it's just, it's, God, it's awful. Well, it's just, I, you know, I just want to be able to say, 
Oh my my daughter, when she was young, she'd make whoopie pies with that frosting with so much sugar it burned. Oh, <laughs> it just burns! It's like, yes. what are you doing? Well, it's I'm uh, I'm very fortunate. Either I've it's a combination of my body telling me and also training myself to know that certain foods are not my friend. And yep. so I don't eat them and it keeps me away from them because they cause me pain. Yeah. And, and I have a couple clients that we've gotten to know some of their allergies um, around some of the foods similar um, gluten. Like if they have, if they eat gluten, they're not celiac, but if they eat gluten, it spikes their anxiety or it spikes some of their depressive symptoms. So we're sure. very good at maintaining that. So I have a couple uh, clients that we're sort of monitoring their cases. We're doing it together over the past couple of years of experimentation of like, oh, this escalates my anxiety or this, you know, and it happens really quickly. So we know what foods to stay away from from Interesting, them. Interesting, yeah. It's, it's very cool. I have one client that's fascinating. He loves doing this experiment with me because he's like, okay, next week I'm going to try this. And then some weeks it'll be like, oh, I did it and it was good. And then next week he'll try something else he's like oh that was bad oh. and so we know so we're keeping a nice running list so he knows um it could be all psychosomatic too which is my other and i say that to him like this could be psychosomatic he goes i know but it seems and we have a pattern it seems like it's a food related kind of push on it so whatever um, i wonder if i have that i don't know we'll have to, i'll set you up with a, yeah. an experiment to I do eat, that i eat my menu is so limited because it's just easy yeah you know chicken <laughs> turkey chicken chicken turkey fish yeah, eh, yeah, not so much fish. But yeah, fish takes a little effort. <laughs> oh well, you're on the ocean. You should be eating fish. Yeah. Hey, so the time on the wall. We were all over the place today. Yes. That was like the conglomeration of many topics. We went from trauma. I try no, to keep. We the basically going, talked but, about know. taking responsibility for your outcomes. Exactly. Understanding you have responsibility for your outcomes. Exactly, and yeah. the way that you respond to things for people yeah. that have no idea what you're talking about is like, how do you respond versus react? Are you going to be emotional and react and just keep perpetuating your crap, or are you going to respond and yeah. and and keep emotionally regulated to which take doesn't, responsibility? Which doesn't mean there are no externals. Right. There are externals, but right. you it's have you much more them. control over your outcomes exactly. than you believe you do. Exactly. And it's an opportunity. It's not a right. responsibility. It's an opportunity. The lovely Lou Blasey <laughs> gets an honorary guru degree today in mm. psychology. Yeah. Yeah. I've had a lot to work on. <laughs> I know. But Just see, I fit, all my, work. I fit all the words in. Lovely, yep, guru, you did, yeah. honorary. Even though you you totally undermined the word lovely <laughs> at the beginning of the show. I should so. have told you It doesn't that. mean the same. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'll, I'll find another word that means more. Okay. All right. So yeah. they don't emotionally annihilate you next time. <laughs> all right. Well, you guys, um, I will I will see you next week. Have a great week and enjoy the weather as we get into fall. All right. 